Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. So far in the book of Daniel, we have seen the courageous actions of Daniel and his three friends who determined in their hearts to honour God irrespective of the personal consequences. In our last lesson, we saw that Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah refused to worship anything or anyone other than their God and that that led them into great trial as a result. This type of story isn't confined to the pages of the Bible or to the history of the early church. You may be surprised to learn the truth that there have been more Christians martyred for their faith in Jesus in the past hundred years than in all of the previous centuries combined. Most martyrs suffer anonymously, but God knows who they are and he never takes suffering for his name lightly, for he promises to be with his people in their difficulties. The fiery trials we face may not be in the form of literal flames. We may not have to endure such persecution, but regardless of what we face, our testimony in the face of hardship can have a remarkable effect on those who observe from the corners of our lives. And whether things go the way we expect or not, we are still to trust the Lord and stand firm in our faith. In Daniel chapter 3, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did just that, and the proud pagan king Nebuchadnezzar experienced the awesome power of the living God through what happened to them. It is thought that perhaps as long as 35 years passed between the events of Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 4. Apparently, Nebuchadnezzar dictated his account of events to Daniel, which the prophet then used to detail the work of God in the king's life in the fourth chapter of the book. So chapter 4 takes the form of a letter, a letter that the king once sent far and wide. It begins in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. Immediately we see something significant. This message from the king was written to all nations and peoples no matter where they lived and he begins by wishing them prosperity. Some translations of this text render his request as being may peace be multiplied to you. Now that's rather unusual for a tyrant to speak a blessing of peace and prosperity over others. So you can tell something truly significant has happened to this man. But what is the purpose of this communication that's sent out to all the earth? Look at verse 2. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. 
Incredibly, the king declares that he wants to relate the miracles and wonders that the Most High God had worked for him personally. And the language he uses makes it very clear that he is speaking of the God of the Israelites. You notice here that he not only asserts that God's signs are great and his wonders are mighty, but in verse 3 he also confirms that it is God alone who has an everlasting kingdom. It is only the Lord who has authority from age to age, and this reveals a total reversal of his thinking since his conversation with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah when they disobeyed his orders in chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar then explains what had occurred. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid, and as I was lying in the bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. He had been at ease during a prosperous season of life, comfortably at home in his palace, and it was then when things seemed to be going so well for him that God began to work in his life. And again, it began with a dream a dream that made him both fearful and alarmed. He w did not understand what it meant, but he sensed that there was a significant purpose to it. As was his custom, he called first for his magicians, enchanters, and astrologers. It surprises me that after everything he'd experienced in the past, that he didn't just call for Daniel, but perhaps Daniel was away on the king's business at the time. The men who came were some of the same wise men that had proved to be not so wise in the past, and they were no different now. They could not help him, even though this time he did tell them the dream. Nebuchadnezzar continues in verse 8, Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. Before we look at what the king dreamed, let me draw your attention to the fact that Nebuchadnezzar calls Daniel chief of the magicians. I know that some may be surprised at that title, but this was the title used of wise men at the time. Remember the Gospels? They speak of magi being the wise men that came from the East to worship Christ as a baby. Magi is really the root for the word magician. Verse 8 begins with the word finally, possibly indicating that Daniel had not been in any hurry to get into the presence of the king. We can't be sure, but it is very likely that Daniel took time to seek God before coming into the king's presence.
The king fully understands that it is the spirit of the holy God who is within Daniel. Interestingly, the word holy that Nebuchadnezzar uses to describe God is a word that really means separate. He knows that Daniel's God is distinct. He is unlike any of the other so-called gods that the people of other nations worshipped. And Nebuchadnezzar knows that because the spirit of the Most High God was upon Daniel, no mystery was too difficult for him. The king begins to describe the dream in verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Notice that the tree he dreamt of was in the middle of the land. It stood tall with nothing else around it, and all beheld its strength and beauty. Like Nebuchadnezzar himself, this majestic tree was flourishing indeed, and because it was so glorious, so attractive, all forms of life were attracted to find provision and security within its shade. If only the vision stopped there, but it didn't. Verse 13. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots bound with iron and bronze remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let him be given the mind of an animal, till seven times pass by for him. As the prophecy continues to unfold, Nebuchadnezzar sees an angelic messenger come down from heaven to issue a command from God that was both firm and clear. The magnificent tree was to be chopped down, stripped of its leaves and fruit, and it was to be abandoned by all those closest to it. But despite the judgment, God would allow the stump of the tree to live, its roots still in the earth. This was a promise of hope, because as long as those roots remained in the earth, the stump had the potential to sprout again. And then, possibly as a protection, there would be a band or a fence of iron and bronze around it. That stump was to be left in the field surrounded by tender grass where it would be wet with the dew of heaven. But notice the change at the end of verse 15. God suddenly speaks of this tree as being a person and we're told, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him.
Nebuchadnezzar declares that everything the Lord has announced, everything he was going to do was for a purpose. Look at verse 17. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of people. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belteshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Certainly, Though the angel of heaven announced it, the decree was from God himself, and the Lord was very clear that all that was to happen was to prove that it is the Most High God who is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and it is the Lord who appoints rulers. Having related the dream to Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar reiterates that he knows that Daniel is able to do what the others could not, because as a man of God, Daniel is prompted by the Holy Spirit. Despite the fact that the Holy Spirit has already given him the interpretation, Daniel was troubled. What he had to say to the king would not be good news. And so what would be the best way to say it? Look at verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. Daniel's discomfort about the dream's meaning was so obvious that the king had to reassure him. I believe Daniel had genuine concern for this man that he had served for so long. And so he begins by saying that he wished the prophecy applied to Nebuchadnezzar's enemies instead of to the king himself. But Daniel must speak the truth, no matter how difficult it is for the king to hear. Verse 20. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass of the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass by for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King.' 
You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The flourishing tree of the dream was Nebuchadnezzar himself, flourishing in his palace, large, strong, full of fruit and glorious in his beauty. But by the decree of the Most High, this powerful king was about to be cut down to size. Verse 24 declares that by God's hand, Nebuchadnezzar would be driven from men to live as a beast. He would eat grass like the cattle, and he would live like one out in the field drenched with dew. This would go on for seven periods of time. The term seven times is a biblical way of referencing the passing of seven years. And we'll see this used elsewhere too as we continue on in our study. It would take seven years for Nebuchadnezzar to finally accept that God was sovereign over even him. The good news, if there was any, was that this would be a temporary judgment on the king. Daniel explains, The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be that then your prosperity will continue. God made it known that once Nebuchadnezzar came to accept the Lord's authority, his kingdom would be returned to him. God would be gracious to him. However, Daniel asked him to repent immediately, to break from his sins and to turn to the Lord. For if he did so, perhaps God would relent and continue the king's prosperity. It's really important for us to understand here that Daniel is not saying that if the king does nice things for the poor, that he will be able to earn God's favor. No, Daniel is saying that Nebuchadnezzar should change the entire direction of his life. When a person truly repents, they turn away from their wicked ways to walk God's way instead. Nebuchadnezzar should not only say that he's sorry for his sins, but he should prove that he has truly turned from them by living a righteous life and by acting in a way that is pleasing to God, showing mercy in the same way that God has shown him mercy. Well, What would Nebuchadnezzar do? Would he accept the warning God gave him through Daniel? Would he act upon it? Or would he think to himself, oh, that's interesting. But I think I'll think about that tomorrow. Look at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, As the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? 
Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to act on the warning he had been given in the dream, but the king did nothing. Like a lot of people, he put off obedience, thinking, I'll deal with that one day, just not now. Let me tell you, scripture proves that delayed obedience hardens the heart. See how hard his heart has become? Here he is, 12 months later, saying, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. I, I, my, my. There's still no acknowledgement of God's hand in what he had been able to accomplish. He was still consumed with pride, and even as the words were in his mouth, the axe fell. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claw of a bird. This is the complete humiliation of a man who had overreached himself. You may be surprised to hear that Nebuchadnezzar suffered from a documented psychological disorder known as boanthropy, which causes a human being to believe that they are a bovine or an ox or a cow. This form of insanity is rare and yet not unheard of even today. One can only imagine what it was like during the time that he was mad, living like an animal. I'm sure it's not too difficult to imagine that while their king was out mooing in the field, some people back at the palace were devising plots against him. Even then, God was protecting Nebuchadnezzar. Remember the band of iron and bronze around the stump? I think that that may have been a symbol of Daniel himself, faithfully taking care of the king's affairs and ensuring his protection until he could return. Daniel knew the prophecy that once he yielded to God, Nebuchadnezzar would come to his senses and be restored to his kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar then tells us about his remarkable transformation. Look at verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
It was only when Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes toward heaven that his sanity returned to him. And when his mind was restored, he immediately began to praise the Lord who lives forever. Not only that, but he acknowledged that it is God who has everlasting power. It is the Lord's kingdom that is everlasting. By comparison, man is nothing. It is God who reigns in heaven, and it is God's will that will be done on earth, and no one will be able to stop him. Remember back in the day when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah had refused to bow? Nebuchadnezzar had really struggled with the concept that even a god could deliver anyone from his hand. What a transformation there's been as he submits to the living God, realizing that no one can frustrate the Lord's plans. And then the king recounts the end of the story, verse 36. At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. As he yielded to God, the king was blessed with even more than before. And as a result of the way God had worked in his life, Nebuchadnezzar wanted all the peoples of the earth to know that I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Everything had become personal for Nebuchadnezzar, for as proud as he was, he had been humbled by God. I think that many of us can see our own story in that of Nebuchadnezzar. Many of us may have stubbornly held out against the Lordship of Christ because of our pride, thinking that we were able to do it all ourselves. We did not realize that every breath we take, everything that we have, everything that we've been able to accomplish is because of God's grace alone. Friend, if you are still putting off a decision for God, thinking that you have time, remember Nebuchadnezzar. His arrogant words were still in his mouth when the judgment of God fell upon him. Do not put off a decision for Christ. Deferred obedience only hardens the heart. And the plain truth is that tomorrow may never come. For those of us who are worried about the proud Nebuchadnezzars in our own lives, whether at work or perhaps in our own families, take heart. Christ is coming and judgment is with him. But we're told in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God cares. He gives people time, desiring that all come to repentance. He is more patient than any one of us deserves. Again and again, he worked with Nebuchadnezzar, and I do believe again and again, he will work with the people in our lives too. Our job in the meantime 
is to be a Daniel to others by faithfully representing the Lord well and by speaking the truth in love while we prayerfully wait for them to raise their eyes toward heaven and accept Jesus Christ as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let us pray. Father God, we just thank you today for your great mercy. Thank you, Lord, that you were patient with us, bringing us to repentance. And I pray, Lord God, that you would help us be Daniel to others in our circumstances and in our lives. Lord, that we would represent you well, that we would not be afraid to speak the truth in love, and that we would continually intercede for those who do not know you yet. It is in Jesus' precious name we ask this. Amen. Well, God bless you, and I look forward to you joining us next time. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com. 